Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Welcome to uh, our final week of our Transformed series. This week we want to focus on summarizing what we've been learning from Paul's second letter to Timothy. These are uh, Paul's final written or recorded words, uh, not just to Timothy, but his final recorded words. And what we want to do as we do this last sermon together is we want to look at a, a summary of all that Paul has been teaching and then also look specifically at his teaching in chapter 4 under the heading of living under the authority of God's word. As As a believer, as a follower of Christ, if you want to develop your spiritual authority, if you want to develop the, the use of the authority that God has given you and your assignment in the, in the area which he has given you authority, then you must be a person who lives under the authority of God's word. You cannot operate with his authority if you're not under the authority of his word. And so we want to look at what it means to live under the authority as a summary, in a sense, of all that Paul has been teaching about the Word of God to Timothy. And so we're reminded again of how we began this series, that Scripture is breathed out by God, that as we are studying Scripture, as we are bringing ourselves under the authority of Scripture, that this is fundamental to the Christian life. This is foundational to every uh, spiritual power that you're going to experience, to every authority that you're going to see manifested that is a a, a legitimate, not a counterfeit type authority. Uh, But not only is it the idea here that the one who breathed this scripture out is himself perfect and truthful, but also that this this inspired word of God is effective, that it's useful, and that as you live out this word under the authority of the word, then you will have a profitable and a a, a useful and a practical value from it. So we'll look at quickly four summaries of how Paul speaks of the word and its profit and its practical value to Timothy. First, he explains that God's people are equipped by God's word. In other words, without God's word, you are not equipped to be a woman of God or a man of God. And and, and in this, Paul, who knows the Old Testament so well, refers to Timothy as, Timothy, you, man of God. Now, that's that's a significant designation. That's the kind of designation that a Moses had. Moses, the man of God. That's a a significant thing of of being a choice servant of God. And he's 
he explains to Timothy that the man of God, and here we, you can bring in to bear that song about all the people of God, men, women, boys, and girls. But he's saying the man of God is thoroughly equipped by the word of God. And so what happens is that as a person who wants to be a woman of God or a man of God is, is being taught by the word, then, then truth is permeating and illuminating their whole life. And they, they are capable then of experience instead of self-centeredness, a God-centeredness. And uh, this goes to intellectual honesty, emotional honesty. So the, the scriptures are, according to Paul, profitable for teaching. So there, there, there's this truth that comes that counters the lies. And then, then Paul, talking about the rebuke of the scripture, is talking about the fact that scripture does not allow our conscience to stay in deception, but the conscience is permeated and penetrated by the word of God so that we cannot stay uh, anything but miserable in our sin. And so we, we feel rebuked, but it's doing so that we can have a cleansed conscience. You see, you can't operate with the authority of God while you're hiding your sin and guarding your sin. So scripture comes in and doesn't allow us to spend one day or one moment in the fantasy that, that somehow our lives or our sins are going to be supported by the Holy Spirit. It corrects us. But, but this isn't simply like uh, an academic exercise where someone gives me a research paper and I, I mark off all that I think is wrong with it. This isn't, this isn't an examination. The correction of Scripture is always to restore. It's always healing, even to the depths of the personality. Because the, the, the goal of the Word of God, of the breath of God in the Word of God, is to make you whole. And then the usefulness of the equipping of the, of the servant of God through the Word is that it gives structure to our whole lives. It trains us to know the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. And this is, this is going to be significant as we go forward. Righteousness is more than just doing the right thing. There is a glory and a beauty to righteousness. There is a, a light to it that shines in righteousness. And as we submit ourselves to Scripture and we come under its authority... It gives structure for our whole lives so that we have capacity for glory. We have capacity for beauty and, and for the weight of the glory of God in our lives. Secondly, Paul explains to Timothy that the Word of God sustains the people of God. See, that, that as you and I see the power of God's Word demonstrated in the lives of of those who either went before us or those who are friends of ours or those who are disciples with us, when we see how His power sustains them, it then comes into our lives in a sustaining way and brings about a, a, a preeminence because we're beginning to say, I, I don't just want to know God's Word, I want to practice God's Word. And I prove the faithfulness of God's word as I practice 
God's Word. And Timothy, in, in particular, is called upon by Paul to remember that as he went through every trial, as he was tested in every way, as he was persecuted, as he was, as he was in great difficulties, what sustained him was the power of God's Word. And, and Timothy, as Paul's apprentice, had seen how Paul had faced every trial, how his, he, he, he dealt with every situation, and instead of becoming an angry, vengeful man, he continued to be a gracious messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's a, there's a sustaining power of the Word that we see, particularly as each of us begins to see that in the life of others, but as we see it in those who have gone before us. And Paul doesn't allow that the Word of God would simply be something that, that is for us personally. He turns and, and, and explains to Timothy, you've not been given this authority simply for yourself. He explains that, that under the authority of God's Word, the world will be reached by God's Word. So he charges to Timothy to be a an announcer of the Word of God, to be a herald, to be one who, who shares and, and, and trumpets the Word of God. You know, he says to Timothy, be an evangelist, not as an optional exercise. He's saying that the Word has to break out from being this kind of private thing to being this public uh, demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, he does explain to Timothy really well that if you live under God's word, you're going to share it with the world, and the world is going to ask you to pay a cost. Matter of fact, Paul says a cost has to be paid for those who will live out the word in the world. And, and yet, at the same time, he really makes clear to Timothy that the power to live out the word in the world doesn't come from our personality. He is speaking to Timothy, who he knows is a very reticent evangelist. He is a, he, he is a shy, timid person. As a matter of fact, so much so that when he sent Timothy to Corinth, to the rowdiness of the church at Corinth, he sent instructions that they would put Timothy at ease. Can you imagine in our day if if somebody were coming to speak at Risen King and we got, a, we got a letter from somebody saying, look, I'm sending this guy to come speak to you, but don't make it hard for him. Put him at ease. You would kind of think, well, maybe he shouldn't come if he doesn't have you know, this kind of ability to speak in front of new people and in front of a crowd. And yet, that's exactly what Paul did with Timothy in Corinth. And so Paul throughout this letter, is saying it's not, you know, it's not an option. You've got to be an evangelist. You've got to share the word with the world. And then he explains things like this. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Preach the word in season. Be ready in season and out of season. Be urgent in season and out of season. And the fourth thing that comes from from living under the Word, is, is you've got to realize that Jesus is not made known by your deeds. Jesus is made known by your words. 
God's Son is made known by God's Word. It, it is possible for people to see that you're loving or that you're kind or any of those things, but they will not know Jesus unless you know Jesus from God's Word and you can share who He is as He is revealed in the Scriptures. Well, those four things are, are four things that come from living under the authority of the Word. And so Paul says, if these are true in your life, which he's telling Timothy they have to be true in his life, and he's telling us it has to be true in our life, and he says, well, you, here's what you do with those. He says, you continue in what you've learned. You keep growing in this. You keep developing in this. This is a, a developmental thing all the days of your life. And, and in some ways, we see this not just in Paul's teaching, but also in the Apostle John, who talks about allowing God's Word to abide in us. And, and the abiding of His Word in, in us is how we bear fruit. And this is how we prove that we are His disciples by the fruit we bear that comes from that abiding place with Christ, continuing to develop. And Paul, Paul says, look, having the foundation of living under the authority of the Word of God, he says to Timothy, and he's saying to us, so be steady now. In other words, he's saying, is there a consistency in your intimacy with God? Is there a consistency in your walk with Christ, in your being led by the Spirit? You know, he's saying, don't be up one day and down the next. Steadfastness or steadiness comes from having a firm base. So here the Apostle is exhorting Timothy to, to rest on the firm foundation of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what the Scriptures teach. And he says that will result in a consistent, steady life amidst all the pressures and the countering forces of any day or any age. There are so many things that happen in our lives over which we have no control. There are unpredictable things that come, like this pandemic that we're experiencing, this COVID-19, these, uh, these sicknesses that have come upon the whole world. Those are things we cannot control. Those are things that, that happen, and, and when they happen, they happen to Christians, just like they happen to people who don't know Christ. But will we, when we encounter these various trials, will we have a firm enough foundation living under the authority of the Word of God that we will be able to be steady? Paul says in some places, don't grow weary of well-doing. For in, in the right time, in the due season, you will, you will reap what you have sown. There's a steadiness that comes because, because our, our foundation and our, our fundamentals are not based on circumstances or our ability to predict circumstances. Our foundation is built on the timeless Word of God. If God be for us, who can be against us is always true. I am more than a conqueror. Whether I'm dealing with coronavirus or I'm dealing with my finances, or my relationships, or any other thing. I am more than a conqueror. 
So instead of being up and down and all around, being tossed by every circumstance and people's opinions and whatever's going on, instead, Paul says to Timothy, be steady, be consistent. Secondly, he says, if you're under the the authority of the word, you can expect to endure suffering. Nobody likes to hear this, I'm sure, but this has been a frequent theme in Paul's letter. He's talked so many times about the difficulties and the persecutions that Christians may have to face. He's already exhorted Timothy to endure hardness as a soldier of Christ. You know, there's a lot of stuff being taught today that when you become a Christian, God will smooth everything out for you and, and you'll never have to suffer any disappointments or anything else. Well, it's not exactly what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches that there are times in our lives where we must be willing to endure hardness, when we must endure suffering. Those who live a life under the authority of the Word of God, Paul says, will suffer persecution. He did so, and he knew that Timothy would do so, and he was preparing Timothy to be strong in the midst of the suffering. I I realize, and for myself, I've watched it with other people as well, that often what trips us up in our suffering is our shock that we are suffering, or our surprise that we are suffering. Instead of the suffering itself, it's the surprise. I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe this always happens to me, are some of the lines that many of us say when things don't go our way. In some ways... To have your life upset, your plans upset, will reveal much more about your faith than it produces a lack of faith. It reveals where our faith is lacking, where our trust is not complete. Every single thing that's going on in our life is part of the curriculum of the Holy Spirit to bring us into conformity with who Jesus is so that more and more we become like him. This is his agenda in our life. He is, he is giving us capacity to be more and more fully Christ-like, even in the midst of our suffering. And so Paul is telling Timothy, look, if you're going to live under the authority of God's word, you're going to experience some suffering. And then he says this, this has always fascinated me. He says to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Now, you know, I, I remember when I first read this, I guessed, well, it must be Timothy's gift to be an evangelist. But the more I read about Timothy, I really don't see him as an evangelist. Uh, one of the ways to look at the gift of an evangelist is, is someone who has a special gift or skill in speaking to non-Christians and leading them to Christ. So they just seem to be able to, without any uh, difficulty whatsoever... Just speak the gospel in such a way that they lead people to Christ. I, I one time did um, a memorial service with Andy Stanley down in, in Atlanta. And one of, my, one of my closest friends had passed away, very young. And so I did a eulogy talking about my friend. And then Andy Stanley did a, a gospel message. And I would say that when he finished, something like hundreds of people gave their lives to Christ at my friend's funeral. 
because of the, the ease with which and the gifting that Andy Stanley had to take that moment and to lead people uh, into an encounter with Jesus where they asked him to be their Savior and their Lord. There's a, there's a special gifting to that. There's a special uh, way that that's a spiritual gift. That's not evident in Timothy whatsoever. And, and so why is it that Paul is saying to him, do the work of an evangelist? Well, because ultimately everything that we do, whether your gift is hospitality or your gift is prophecy or your gift is, is uh, uh, faith or whatever it might be, the goal is, is to serve and to serve in such a way that that the life and, and, and the gospel of Jesus is enhanced by your, by your service. One writer said it this way, he said, he does so because all the gifts must ultimately be directed to the world as well as to the church. The church is in this world in order to teach the world the truth about life and about God and to offer to the world the good news about forgiveness and healing in Jesus' name. That's the work of the church, to reach the world. So if we have spiritual gifts, it's not just to serve the church, but it's to serve the church as the church serves the world and reaches the world for Jesus Christ. Paul was not going to allow Timothy to merely operate in a safe huddle of the church. He wanted Timothy to operate in the unsafe world, but bring the truth of the gospel to bear through his gifts and through his service. Well, Paul says, uh, if you're going to live under the spiritual authority of the word of God, then you've got you to see it to the end. You've got to fulfill your ministry. When he says fulfill it, he means you do not quit until it's time to go home. You keep gone until... You have done all that the Lord has sent you to do. You have reached that time when the Lord either takes you home or he says, this is the end of your ministry. Look at, look at how Paul recounts his own life. He says, I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may accomplish my course and fulfill the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God in Acts 20, 24. So now as he's asking all this of Timothy, and he's asking Timothy, see it through to the end. Paul is seeing the end. In 2 Timothy 4, 6, he says, For I am already on the point of being sacrificed. The time of my departure has come. When Paul talks about the sacrifice here, he's referring to the drink offering which in the Jewish feast terminated the great day of atonement. At the end of all the offerings, a drink offering, a jug of wine was poured out upon the altar. Paul sees himself in that way. Perhaps he knows that he is about to be beheaded. Since he was a, a Roman citizen, he could, he could ask for execution by beheading instead of crucifixion. It was much quicker and less painful. And so Paul, according to tradition, was taken out had his head laid on a block and an executioner with an axe or a sword severed his head. And Paul saw the, 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 that execution as 
pouring out His blood as a drink offering unto the Lord. But you see, he doesn't seem like he's upset about that. He doesn't seem to have any regrets about that whatsoever. He, he sees this as fulfilling his ministry, going all the way to the end. He, he doesn't see it as a thing to be feared. He sees it as an outcome of the life that he's lived, a sacrificial life, so that even as his life is ending, he's pouring out his blood as a sacrifice. And he sees it as a fitting conclusion to his ministry and his life. He says it this way. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now he... He seems to recognize that he has no regrets about this being the end of his life. He talks about it as a time of loosing that is coming. He, he uses uh, language that talks about being set free from the earthly ties to set sail on a new adventure in life. And, and he, he looks at death as not the end, but the beginning of a new adventure with Christ. As he faces death, there's no fear on his part whatsoever. He's, he's not only facing it without fear, he's telling his, his son in the faith to face it without fear as well. He has this, this sense that to depart and to be with Christ is far better, Paul says in Philippians. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It's not the easiest thing to face death. It's not the easiest thing to, to know that, that you're that vulnerable, you're that weak, that someone else could take your life or that something else could take your life. Uh, almost 10 years ago, well, a little over 10 years ago now, one of our intercessors had a... Uh, um, a dream that I died on a mission trip. And I, I can still remember her with tears in her eyes as she's explaining it to Lisa and me that she was dreaming and she had seen me, me dead. And she was somebody who heard from God in dreams, so we took her seriously and we, we began to pray. And Lisa particularly rallied people to pray because we feel like when God shows you something like that, it's not a threat, it's a warning. So the Get ready, something's about to happen. And I remember having to face the fact that, that I could die. And I think it was one of the first times that I really, I really felt close to death. And then when I did get malaria, and when I was so close to death with a, a fever that wouldn't come down and, and saturation of parasites in my blood and all the things that happened that felt like heart attacks and uh, all the close things to going into a coma and becoming unconscious and different things that were going on. I can remember never having a fear. The tenderness of the presence of the Lord sustained me even when the fever would grip me and I would be in so much intense pain. I still could, I could lean into his presence. The pain didn't go away. 
but I could lean into his presence. You see, there, there's something magnificent about what Paul is teaching here for all of us. That you can live this life without fear. Even though there are things that are bigger than you, even though there are things that are outside of your control, you can live your life without fear. And, and when you come to the end of it, having fulfilled your ministry and your assignment, having lived for Christ and lived under the authorities, where you can say with Paul, I fought the good fight. Not a good fight, the good fight. I fought the right fight. I have finished the race God gave me to run. Not somebody else's race, my race. And I have kept my faith. Even as I face death, even as I face this or that, you begin to realize that there's something magnificent about a life that is that singular in terms of its focus, in terms of its power. And it only comes as you live under the authority of his word. So Paul ends it this way. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. See, what Paul's talking about there, I don't think it's a reward crown. I don't think that's what he's, he's meaning. I think that you have already been put to your account the righteousness of Christ, and it's the righteousness of Christ that... <coughs> That is the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ, the glory of the beauty of Christ. But, but within us, that righteousness is hidden within. But the day will come when we stand before our Savior, when that hidden glory will become visible. You see, this is, this is the glory that the Scripture says is the glory that lights up the new heaven and lights up the new earth, that lights up new Jerusalem. There's no need for the sun. There's no need for the moon. There is the Son of God Himself, and He is the light. It is His glory, the glory the Father has given to Him that lights all of the new heaven and the new earth. And what He's saying here is that when you stand before God, that righteousness which is hidden in you now, that glory which is in you now because the Spirit of Christ has come to reside in you, to dwell in you, that glory will be revealed and it will look like a crown of righteousness. It will be the glory of Jesus' righteousness within you. He's talking about an indescribable weight of glory that is for every believer as we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's so important we hold on to this. You see, what's about to happen is, is Paul's going to go before an unrighteous judge, Nero, and he's going to execute him. But he's going to be that day in heaven, and that righteousness hidden within him is going to be revealed as indescribable glory, as the righteous judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to reverse the sentence of of unrighteousness upon Paul and declare him righteous in the righteousness of Christ. And the Father's going to see Paul as righteous as Jesus because of the righteousness of Christ put to his account. And this is true of every one of us who are believers. There is a righteousness within us hidden 
that on that day when we stand before our Savior will be a glory revealed and it will be an indescribable weight of glory. So whatever judgment anyone has put on you in this earth, whatever opinion they have had of you, or whatever words have been spoken over you, whatever it is, Paul says, those judgments and those sentences will be reversed and the righteous judge will declare you holy, will declare you righteous. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that all who are listening will make a, a commitment right here, right now, to live under your word. Can't be equipped without Can't be sustained without it. That word has to go out into the world. That's our assignment. There is no way for the world to know Jesus if we don't have the words to tell them who Jesus is. So I ask as we go through this crisis together that we would be steady, that we would be consistent, that we would fulfill our ministry. We would not give up. We would not give in. We would not give in to bitterness or boredom. We would not give in to however long any of this takes, but that we would show that kind of steadiness, that kind of consistency throughout all of this. And we wouldn't do it on the basis of our personality, but we would do it because we do not have the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Pray this for each and every one of us, that we would realize today that we have a righteousness hidden within, that on the day of your appearing, or the day we appear before you, that righteousness will be revealed as an indescribable glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.